we ask, Holy Spirit, as you settle in this room today, God, take the space that we give you and work in the midst of it, God. God, we pray that you would take away distractions this morning. Lord, the things that we come in this room with, God. Set our eyes on you, our hearts on you, God. in your name, God. We pray this, God, and we offer it, Lord. In your name, God. Amen. Amen. Go and have a seat, everybody. Amen. We've asked the Holy Spirit to work in our lives this morning, and the Holy Spirit is faithful. God is faithful, and he will do that. He'll continue to do that this morning. In just a moment, we're going to open up God's word to the New Testament book of Ephesians and just let God work in our lives. Um, But before we get to that moment, I do want to point out a couple of just important things around the life of Calvary Church. One is you received a booklet when you came in that looks something like this. If you'll just pull this out for a moment and turn to the inside cover. And then scroll your finger down to the bottom section. The last section there in the inside cover gives us a giving update. So here at Calvary Church, we run our budget, our financial budget, um, in a fiscal year of July 1st through June 30th. And so our year is ending this coming week. And first, we just want to thank you. You as a family of God here at Calvary Church have been incredibly generous here to the life and ministry of Calvary. And we just thank you for that. Thank you for giving joyfully, cheerfully, um, sacrificially, faithfully. It's been incredible over this year. And we just ask you that you would help us finish strong. You can see some of the numbers that we're even looking for this week. And as you consider giving as part of your worship even today, you can give at the stations later in the service um, through check or cash. But we also have some uh, more electronic ways for you to give now if you're not aware of. If you want more info, you can go to calvarylife.org slash giving. But a couple ways I just want to point out to you um, is one that you can give online. It's fully secure uh, through credit card or an e-check. And now we have an app for your smartphone, that you can download this app, you can give straight through the app, again, completely secure, and you can even text, and you can give a one-word designation uh, of how you'd like to give. Um, There's a number, you can find all this online, Um, it will walk you through it. And so, we're trying to be good stewards of what God's entrusted to us here with this ministry as we reach Orange County and the world for Jesus Christ in partnership with you. And so, we encourage you Uh, to continue giving as an act of worship. If you're new with us, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Welcome to Orange County. If you're visiting from out of town, we'd really love for you to be part of Calvary uh, if you live within this area. In fact, uh, as you leave today, just check out, there's a a table there called um, Calvary Connection or Connection Point Central, and we would love just to give you a free gift today and welcome you, tell you a little bit more about the details of this great place. And then as we consider what's happening in the month of July, there's a couple things I want to point out to you. And they're listed here on that inside cover of your bulletin as well. As on Friday, July 8th, we have a musical presentation of Titanic. 
Now, this doesn't involve Leo or Kate, so uh, <laughs> change your expectations, and spoiler alert, the boat sinks. But this is an incredible opportunity to invite friends and family to come, hear a great presentation, and then there's a link to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so that's coming up on the 8th. And then Vacation Bible School at the end of this month. And there's some really great ways to be involved. One is there's a card in your booklet here today. You can give that out uh, to a kid in your neighborhood or in your circle of influence and invite them here to Vacation Bible School. It's free, uh, first grade, going into first grade through sixth grade. But then also, if you don't even have a kid or know someone, there's still ways to get involved. One is we need tons of volunteers. And so you can go online and, and learn more about that. And we need donations. And you'll be hearing more about that in the weeks to come. And so really, all of us in this room, I want to commission you at this point to be involved with Vacation Bible School in one way or another. And then also you see here in the booklet uh, is that we are going back to Israel. And that's coming up at the beginning of 2017. I'd love for you to prayerfully consider going with us. I went for the first time a couple years ago. And you guys, it changed my life. I've gone to Bible school. I've made it my intention and passion to study God's word. But there's nothing like being in Israel. Like literally, you open the book of Luke, and you're like, okay, Jesus went from the tabernacle to Peter's house. And then you lower your Bible. You're like, there's the tabernacle. (laughs) There's Peter's house. It's crazy. And so it will just encourage your faith to be in this place. And so Eric will be in the lobby today. He'd love to answer questions that you have, give you more details. Consider it. Let's pray. Let's prepare our hearts to hear God's word. Father, thank you that you are a God that is moving and active, not only in the greater world, but you're active and moving in our hearts and lives. And so we invite you, even if we just son, that your Holy Spirit would be welcome in this place and would change us through your word. Thank you for Eric, his preparation, his heart for each of us. And we all pray this in all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Matt. Hey, today we are continuing our Better Together series. Uh, and you can tell our staff's better together. We like to mess with each other a bit. But uh, we are better together, all of us. And we have to learn how to be better together, even with people that we maybe don't necessarily like or get along with or wouldn't seem typical. And as you'll see in the, the topic that we're going to be getting into today, It's better together even in this scriptural passage between masters and slaves. So we're looking into Ephesians 6, 5 to 9. You can start turning to that. But we're going to look at masters and slaves. And I want us to get a little bit of a a sense of what it's talking about. So let's first off read through this text. And then uh, we'll look into what in the world is going on here. Because often... And even over the course of history, we can read in the scriptures about masters and slaves and start to think like, wait a minute, you know, and I guess people did use this to try and say that slavery was okay. And so I want us to be able to look into that and see what Paul is doing. So let's first read it. Ephesians 6, 5 to 9. It says this, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service, which is kind of a little strange expression that we aren't normally used to saying, eye service, but like lip service or faking it, basically, okay? As men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, 
with goodwill, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. All right, so this is one of those days where context is everything. For us to understand this passage, we have to have the right context, and we have to have the right perspective. And so you'll even see here in a moment just this this sense of perspective on the screens, where you're looking at something, and you'll think it's one thing, but maybe as you come at it from a little bit of a different angle— you'll notice, oh, wait a minute, no, it's a, it's a totally other thing. And uh, that's kind of what we're looking at today, because you can often think in here, again, that, hey, is this condoning slavery? Is this like what, how people should act if, if you're a slave and, and all of that? And, and I want to show you something of how everything is different, okay? So what I think we have to first do here in this passage about masters and slaves is get into a little bit of, okay, what was slavery in the first century? Okay, what was slavery like and what was it really like and what was it not like? Because slavery, oh, and I encourage you, if you got your outlines, your little bulletin booklet thing, open your outline. It's got some information there. It probably even has more information than I'll say from stage here just to be able to, to give you a little bit more of understanding about the context. But slavery in the first century was definitely not like African slavery in the United States, you know, in, the, in our history of our country. It was definitely different in some ways. It uh, doesn't mean it was good, but it was not based on skin color or ethnicity necessarily unless one was conquered in war and then taken in, which was often a way that slavery would happen. Some did choose to be slaves in this time, and they could even, some people could choose to be slaves for a, a designated period of time. Like, I'm going to be a slave for 10 years, and then I'm going to move out of that. And sometimes people would become slaves because they were so destitute that to actually just have food, clothing, shelter was uh, even better for them than, than having nothing. Uh, now, sometimes even people would join to become a slave into a very high household because becoming a slave and becoming a prominent slave within a, a prominent household could like, have a lot of comforts of life in that. And super rarely, some people could even become citizens out of being a slave in a higher household and then become free. Now, some slaves too, like some of it was it wasn't just physical hard labor. There was that, but there was also slaves that would do different things like uh, accountants or bakers or uh, even some like very rarely physicians, uh, other different sorts of things like business agents, even teachers at times would be slaves. So a lot of times debt, being captured in war, those sorts of reasons is why. Now the Roman Empire did consider slaves to be persons, to be fully persons, which was better than the original U.S. Constitution gave, but um, in that. And so you would have some, some sense of here where, okay, there's a little bit of dignity to this, but actually it was still a very, very awful uh, place to be in life. Slaves were considered property. They were sold. They were traded. They would be threatened beatings, sexual harassment, 
threatened to be like uh, have one member of a family sold into slavery in a different household as a punishment, and then a father then would be separated from the rest of their family or something uh, along those lines. And there was e- there's even some ancient writings that show some some kind of crazy stuff where people's hands would get cut off, uh, where legs were broken, whippings, beatings, chained, and all of that. There, there's a, an ancient writer named Seneca that wrote that all slaves are enemies. And that became a proverbial statement, something that was said often. All slaves are enemies. So that's sort of the way that slaves were thought of, slaves were treated in this time. And they were definitely the lowest point of the whole social structure of the Roman Empire. Now, I don't want to go too far with this, but this is essentially the the whole social structure of the Roman Empire. And we we got ducked down a little bit, but you've just got the emperor, then the senators, as you you know, know, the white robes, the togas with the purple stripe across them, those guys. That's only a few hundred families down to these equestrians. There's a few thousand families that are those. I have to have a lot of wealth and influence. Pilate was an equestrian, this ranking, not just a person that rides horses, right, but a ranking within the Roman Empire. And these decurions were a little bit lower in the status. Now, to be those four, you had to be a freeborn person. Now, you could then below that, the fifth level was this, these freeborn people who are actually the lower class, but they're free. There wasn't really a middle class in this time. You were either this super wealthy, high position and influence, or you were the lower class of people. And then you have the freedmen who are uh, people who were slaves and then become free. And then you have slaves. And slaves were up to about 25% of the population in Ephesus that we're looking at here were slaves. So it's a huge, huge percentage when you think about 25% of the population were slaves. So this is a big part of, of society and as they're, as they're writing this and as they're talking. And there was this whole thing, and Matt Davis referred to this a couple weeks ago, called the household code, okay? The household code was written by Aristotle 350 BC. So we're giving you a a ton of nerdy stuff here. I'm super into this. I'm trying to go fast because I know maybe not everyone's as into it. But um, (laughs) you've got now 350 BC is 400 years, a little over 400 years before Paul is writing to the people of Ephesus in the somewhere in the the early 60s. You just just the 60s, not the 1960s, okay? So just the 60s. You've got Paul writing to these people in Ephesus. 400 years before that, Aristotle is writing these words to just to the, the Greek culture at that time, but basically the whole Roman Empire is just a copy-paste of Greek culture, and that is what's going on. That's why it's the Greco-Roman Empire, okay? So something Matt was talking about was this whole thing of this household code, and it, here's a, a, a bit of a quote from Aristotle. The investigation of everything should begin with its smallest parts, and the primary and smallest parts of the household are master and slave, husband and wife, Father and children, we ought therefore to examine the proper constitution and character of each of these three relationships. Okay, so you could see here where Aristotle is writing about these exact things that Paul is writing about in Ephesians 5 and 6, where he's talking about, hey, here's how we should be subject to one another, and he's talking about He's talking about husbands and wives, Paul is, and he's talking about children and their parents, and then he's talking about slaves and masters. Because this whole household code, it was all about what was called the pater familias, which is just the father, the head of the household. And that's where even we, we get this sense, like we have that, who's the, can I speak to the head of the household? You know, that sort of thing, right? And, and the head of the household was always uh, this, this father of the household, and he had great influence and power. 
Now, it's interesting because in parts of Ephesus, there's also a strong matron culture that was taking part. There's a lot of like strong women in Ephesus. But Aristotle would not have been for that. Aristotle would have been very against that. And he was only speaking to the father, the men. And in all of his writings, he says he talks to husbands first, then wives. He's really only talking to the husbands And he's talking to the husbands about how to treat their wives. Then he's talking to the fathers about how to treat their children. He doesn't care about how the mothers treat their children. And then he's talking to the masters of how to treat their slaves. And so you've got this whole thing, this whole household code thing. And and, and really the way the world was structured was all about, like really a lot of based on Aristotle's writings. And he wrote about slaves I actually like, spent some time this week just like reading through politics by Aristotle because I knew some of the beginning, some, some of the elements of this, but not deeper. And I, I thought it's, it's really interesting and found a few quotes. He says this, the usefulness of slaves diverges little from that of animals. So that's how Aristotle speaks of slaves. He also says, the intention in nature, therefore, is to make the bodies also of freemen and of slaves different. So he says the way that people are created Free people were created differently than slaves, he's saying. The latter, strong for necessary service. The former, erect and unserviceable for such occupations, but serviceable for a life of citizenship. Right? So these citizens are just to, you know, have interesting philosophical discussions. And we have slaves to do the hard work because that's how they were made, he says. And then... Finally, he says, the slave is serviceable for the mere necessaries of life, so that clearly he needs only a small amount of virtue. In fact, just enough to prevent him from failing in his tasks, owing to intemperance and cowardice. So it's like, you've got this, like, like this is where they're coming from of how slaves are thought of, how slaves are treated. And there, we got to have this in our head, because we have to begin to see how Paul is turning everything on its head. Paul is flipping the script. He is not supporting a system of slavery. He is subverting a system from within. And he's coming in and saying, look, I'm going to write to you in this exact same pattern that Aristotle wrote and the way that you think and just the way that that has just totally affected all of our society. And now I'm going to make some subtle changes and some not so subtle changes to show you how we're turning everything on its head. Because first of all, Like I said, Aristotle never even referred to the women. He never addressed the women, I mean, uh, directly. He only would address the men. And then secondly, what Paul does in this whole text in Ephesians, if you look, the, the, the household code of Aristotle would always say husbands and then wives. You know, it would say fathers and then children. It would say masters and then slaves. And here you will see he's flipped every single one. He first addresses wives, then husbands. He first addresses children, and then both parents, which Aristotle doesn't do. And then he first addresses slaves, and then goes to masters. Because actually, there is something going on in this culture. Who you spoke to or about first mattered. It actually put that person in a position of prominence and respect. Even as you look in Luke's writings in the book of Acts, he's, he's talking about, uh, for a while, he's talking about Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas and Paul. And there comes this point 
in, in their ministry where all of a sudden it changes and it starts saying Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, because that was the point that Paul had kind of emerged as the true leader of the early church in that, in that point of that missionary, in those missionary journeys. And so he got something interesting here that Paul is doing where he puts those people first. So again, he's not advocating for a system of slavery. He's subverting it from within because Jesus changes everything for everyone, masters and slaves included. He changes everything spiritually, but he's also changing everything here socially. He's showing you how everything's different. Yes, your, your status of, of your eternity is completely drastically changed, but that should completely and drastically change the way you live your life here on earth as well and the way you treat your brothers and sisters, the way you treat your fellow man. Everything has changed here because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. And what's so cool is you'll see actually this, this uh, subject of slaves and masters is actually talked about a lot. First of all, Paul uh, has one thing in, in Galatians where he says this. It's, cha- it's all changed because of Jesus. Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection, because the gospel, the good news of very God of the universe coming and being born as this vulnerable baby and living this perfect life and then dying on the cross to take the sin of the world upon himself, but then he does not stay dead, that he comes back to life on the third day, that that resurrection power has changed everything because of that, he says, look, there, don't, don't even think about it this way. Don't think about Jew nor Greek. Don't think about ethnicity. Don't think about your status within the social structure. Don't think about your gender. We are all one in Christ Jesus. I want to change this, essentially. Paul is saying this has all been changed. Colossians 3.11, he says a, a similar thing. A renewal in which there is not distinction between Greek and Jew. Circumcised, uncircumcised. Barbarian, which just means anyone that's not Greek. Uh, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. But Christ is all and in all. Christ is all in all, right? You got where everything again is changing. And then those are just some separate writings. But what's crazy again is that Paul writes some very similar things more than once, right? He's got these different letters that are going to these different cities that are all part of Asia Minor. And he's sending these letters out and he's saying similar things to them, but they're slightly different. And I don't know if you've noticed this or read this, but he, he writes about slaves to the people of Colossae, the people of Ephesus, and then to a specific guy named Philemon. Okay? He's got three different times that, he, that he's writing about this, essentially, in, in, in addition to the other couple that we've read already. Now, there's this uh, theory of uh, like the way we speak, essentially. It's called three levels of moral discourse, which is just really how we talk to different people based on how well we know them. Okay? That there's a few different levels of how we speak. If I don't know you very well, I might say things you know, a little bit softer, right? A little more gently or a little more vague, you know, that kind of thing if I don't know you very well. But if I know you a little bit better, it's going to get a little more direct, especially, let's say, to a group of people that I know a little bit better. It's a little more direct. But to an individual that I know very well, I'm going to get my most direct. That's where with your best friends, instead of having this, like, kind of soft debate, you'll be like, ah, 
come on, dude, just stop being an idiot about that, you know, or whatever. And, and that's okay to say, right? It's okay to say to your buddy, but it's not okay for me to just say that to a bunch of people. And, and so that's where uh, you'll see the way that Paul talks about this differently. And what's crazy is he sends, he's in prison, he's written these three letters, and he sends these letters with a couple people. You'll see their names here. It's Tychicus and Onesimus. Now, Onesimus is a slave. He's a slave of Philemon, okay, who lives in Colossae at the time. All right, so he sends these letters, and he takes them to these different people. Now, Paul, he has never been to Colossae. He has never met the people of the Colossian people, okay? So he's never been there, so he writes this letter, and he talks about the household code, and he says some very similar things to them, and here's how he says it. Check this out. He says, slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. See how it sounds very similar, right? It's sounding very similar to what we just read in Ephesians. Uh, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. He's a little, kind of, a little tougher on the slaves here than he is on the masters. Because then he says this, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Whereas then when you look at the one to the Ephesians that we just read, uh, you know, he's, he's a little more direct. He says this thing that's this huge phrase. He says, masters, do the same things. He just told the slaves all this stuff and says, masters, do the same things. For him to say, do the same things to a bunch of masters that he had just told the slaves is like, you know, one of those, my mind should explode at that. They'd just be like, what? What are you talking about? Why would I ever do what a slave would do? I would never do that. That's what they're here for is to do that stuff. But he says, masters, do the same things. So he's taking this whole thing and just saying, no, 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 masters. You don't get to, like, lord this over them. You don't get to come at them with this abuse and this threats. I want you to do the same things for them. And a couple times, he he also refers to whether slave or free, do all this stuff. But then there's a third level of moral discourse where he gets even more direct. And that's to this guy, Philemon. Now, that's in the book of Philemon. If you want to try and turn there, go for it. It's about a page long. Um, So it's in the New Testament, just a little bit past where we are in Ephesians. If you get past 1st and 2nd Timothy, you'll find Titus and then Philemon. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. Now, I want us to look at this, this letter. I've just got a few of the verses on the screen here, but the way that he talks to this guy just is so different. It's just, it's so much more direct. And it's pretty crazy when you think about some of the stuff that Paul is saying to this guy. Now, these letters too, these letters are read publicly, Okay. You've got the guy that's the slave handing the letter over to him, right? Hey, let's read the letter. Cool, let's listen. And he says a couple of intro things. In verse 4, he says, I thank my God always, making mention of you, Philemon, in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. He's saying all these nice things. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love. So he's saying all these nice things. Then in verse 8 he says, Therefore, 
though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, which is kind of a little like, oh, okay, (laughs) you know, I've got enough confidence to order you to do the right thing. He says, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I'm such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. I mean, this is like, I don't know if it's sarcasm, but you know, it's like, hey, I could order you, but I'm just going to appeal to you in front of everybody. Now, you could be forced to do it, but you should probably just choose to do it because you're a really good person, right? You know, it's, it's that kind of a thing. And uh, then he says, verse 15, For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention, this is the best part, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart and confidence. Having our heart in Christ, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know you'll do even more than I say. I and mean, that is like laying it on thick, right? The way he's saying all that is just, look, this guy can't be a slave anymore. He doesn't, like Paul is not saying slavery is okay. The way that Paul is just giving it to him over and over again, he's just jab, jab, jab. This is what you are supposed to do. We are now brothers in Christ. That's, we, don't, we don't have each other as slaves. That is wrong. And so all that, I just do all this to show you, Paul is not supporting a system here. He is subverting this system from within. The words that were spoken in the writings of Paul were radical, radically different than what the times would be. Like, and, and so what happens is when you think perspective, we're looking at these words from our 21st century perspective, the way that we've seen the, the horrific wrongs of slavery over our own country's history, and we look at it and think, wow, what, what's, how could they even be saying some of the things they're saying here? But when you got it, you got to step out and look at the first century perspective and to how he's changing everything because Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes our spiritual eternity and our future, but he changes everything about the way we would live our lives here as well. And so now I want to get us into just a little bit, um, a little bit more of what like is, how can this apply to us today even more? How can this apply beyond theory? How can we get this into some of the way that we live our lives? Because I want to say that whatever your position in the world— now, you might not be a master or a slave, but whatever your position in the world, serve others like you would serve Jesus. 
Because in our world today, our Orange County world here, I mean, we've got people that are bosses. We've got people that are business owners. We've got people who are teachers. We have people that are in, in positions of authority. We have uh, you know, supervisors, whatever that might be. We also have people who are in, you know, who are students, who are employees, who are um, even, uh, like I think of like a customer sort of, a, a customer relationship or like a person at a restaurant, right? That you go to a restaurant and you're being served by that server, right? <laughs> Hence the name. And so when we're in different relationships with people, we're at a, a counter at the county office and the way that we're going up and that person is serving us and the way we treat that person, all of that. All these different sorts of relationships that we have and the different kind of interactions that we have, I think we can place ourselves into different roles as master or slave in this passage. That whatever your position in the world, do it as to Christ. It says in the, the middle part of the passage in Ephesians, with goodwill render service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. So we do all of this, right? Everything we do, we do it as to the Lord. We do it in that way to be, have a heart of service in all that we would do. And so we've got a word to those that when you're in a position as, as slave or servant, when you're in that, that part of the interaction in this world, that first of all, be obedient to those that you work for with sincerity and not just faking it, right? Not this, this eye service that he refers to, this, this sort of this act of faking it, that we, when we have the chance to serve someone in whatever way we are, as an employee or as their, uh, the person that works at Starbucks, whatever that is, that we serve them in this way to be obedient to those that we work for with sincerity. We do it in a real way, not just faking it. And we have to consider, like, where's my heart? And you think about, I want you to even think about, like, what do, I, what do I think about my boss, my teacher, my client, my customer? What do I think about that person, right? Where, where's my heart? When it's saying do it obediently with sincerity, where's my heart towards them, you know? Because I might just kind of, like, suck it up and do it, but where, where's my heart? And so we want to have that sincerity of heart, that we would consider our work for them as for the Lord. Now, in the scriptures, in the, the first century times, I mean, he's not saying if, you're, if you think your master's a good person. No, he's saying the way that a person that's a follower of Christ would do it, that person would do this because I'm doing this as to the Lord, right? That's, that's, my, like, that's my heart in all of this. And then I do the will of God from the heart in my service to them. And if I think about if I'm doing the will of God, I'm doing what God's will would be, and it even takes me back to remembering, okay, what's God's will? What's God's big overarching will? John 6, 40, the will of the Father is that they would see Jesus, they would see the Son, and that they would know who he is, that they would believe in him, that that's the will of God. So I think that our service to those who are over us in some way should reflect the gospel, it should show them who Jesus is. It should give us that opportunity to show them the example of a servant of who Jesus Christ was the ultimate one, right? So consider that with those people that you don't like, you know? <laughs> like everybody's got like, there, there's bad bosses, there's bad teachers, there's bad 
police officers, there's bad people in positions of authority, whatever that might, you know, those positions that you might think of people in authority over you in some way. There's bad ones, but what is your, you know, when you think about your responsibility, your responsibility is not to say like, well, I got a bad boss, so I don't have to worry about this, right? No, you're not going to go before God, the judgment seat of Christ, and to show your life and say, well, here's what my boss did. No, you're showing your life. You're responsible for your life. So in, in whatever way you can, and you know, in that way, like be at peace with all men and whatever you can do about it. You live your life as this faithful servant, serving God and not men. But then there's a word to masters as well. And some of these words to masters in, in verse 9, masters do the same things. So all that stuff we just said, hey, masters, that's on you too, basically, okay? So in your role, when you are the, the supervisor, the business owner, the boss, when you're the customer or the client, and your attitude towards that person is serving, that's serving you in some way, you are to say, you know, that I want to do the same things that a servant would do. I want to act in this way to them. I want to consider God's eye upon me as I lead, Right? I want to consider the way that God would have me act as a leader in this situation and how God would want me to not be harsh or to be threatening or to uh, you know, treat people differently. As he says, don't show favoritism or partiality. We want to treat people equally and with dignity, with respect, with love. And so we come to people and we, we treat them in this sort of way. And that's the way that God would have us act when we are in a position of authority. And I think that we really are going to have both, like, more often than we think, okay? You might think of yourself that never has somebody that's serving you, you know, but you're probably having some sort of experience where you're going to a restaurant or you're having that kind of a, of a situation. How are you acting and how are you representing Christ when you are in each of those situations? So I challenge and encourage you to consider that, to consider the way that you are showing Christ in that. I heard that Eric Tonis is a Biola prof that was our man camp speaker, and he, get, he says something to, to Biola students as, uh, you know, they're living in the dorms, and he says, do you know the name of the person that cleans your bathroom? Do you know the name of the person, or do you just let this person walk by like they're your slave, you know, and you don't even consider them? And I think about that, you know, in, in all different parts of life, and I think you know, I heard this other kind of cool thing that somebody says they do that I have not done yet, I'll be honest, but I just thought it was kind of cool and I'm thinking about it, <laughs> was that when they're at a restaurant, they, when they're about to get pray for their meal, and I, I, do, I do pray for my meal and thank God for it, but uh, what they do is they, they say to their server, actually, they say, hey, we're about to pray. We, do, we pray for our meal. I'm sure you've seen lots of people do that, right? And uh, we, we pray, but we'd love to just pray for you. Is there anything we could pray for you about right now? You know, it's just kind of a way of saying, I want to serve you who's serving me in this moment and just to show some kindness to them. And so within all of this, whether we are a slave or a master, the, the call is to have the heart of a servant, okay? Our calling is no matter what our station in this life, that we are to have the heart of of a servant. And there's this Hebrew word, barach, okay? Barach means uh, to, to bless or to praise, is often we'd use this, this word. You'd see bless in the Bible, barach, okay? And uh, 
Barach, it's like a, a word picture. A lot of these Hebrew words are kind of a, a, an image or a picture. And it's a, a picture of either to stoop low, to bow down, or even just what we'd say here, to bend the knee. Okay? To bend the knee. To, to go down on one's knees before that person. It's to bless or to praise God. As we worship God, we are on our knees before him. And that's kind of some of this, this sense that we would have of as we are being servants we would bend the knee and we want to take on that, that posture. We want to take on the same posture that Jesus took. That again, Jesus is this ultimate example of a servant. I love what he says in Matthew 20. He says to his disciples, he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. And he says, But not so with you. But not so with you. You see the way these people abuse their authority, the way they domineer and and look down upon the people that serve them. But not so with you, he says. This is not the way that we are to be as followers of Jesus Christ. We are not to be authoritarian. We are not to be harsh. We are not to be any of those things. We are, he says, he says this, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, speaking of himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, God of the universe, comes to this earth and he acts as a servant. He bends the knee towards us. And that's what he does for his disciples. He, he gets down on his knees and washes their feet in that, those last moments he has with them right before he dies. That he gets down and he washes their feet and serves them the most servile task that you could think of in that time. People would not do this if they were in a position of a teacher, rabbi, any kind of position that wasn't a slave or a servant. But he gets down, he bends the knee. He serves them. And Peter's like, well, I don't want that. And Jesus says, you have to have this. Because you have to experience this from me so that you can go do likewise. So that you can follow what I've, this example I've set for you, and then you go and serve others. He bends the knee. And you think, men in the room that are married, you probably got down in this position at one point, right? And you bent the knee, and you offered a ring, <laughs> and you said, will you marry me? Yeah. And we, we take on this posture when we ask our, our wives, our future wives at that point, to, to marry us, we bend, we go down on one knee before them to say, I want to serve you. I love you. I get down before you. Do you still bend the knee to your wife? Do you still get down on one knee 20 years later? In your relationships that you have with people that you interact with, can you bend the knee? You get down and, and before them and serve them. And that's what we're, we're called to do, to serve the people that are in our life. And I really think that, that this whole thing, the way that Paul is changing everything and he's telling masters to be servants, I mean, it's, I think it's what changes the world because it shows them Jesus, right? When we serve, we show them Jesus. So we serve to show them a picture of Christ, and then we tell them the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is. 
Because you got to know Jesus, that the world may know that he is the savior of the universe. And so that's what we're called to do and be. Whatever our place is in life, we bend the knee. And so uh, as we're going to continue this service, we're going to have some time to worship. We're going to have some time to sing. We're going to have some time to come to the different stations around the room. Uh, you can come here. You can take communion. As you, as you partake of communion, you'll drink of the cup to remember that Christ shed blood for you. You'll eat of the bread to remember he gave his body for you. That all this is to remember what Christ has done. And that's what we got to remember. We come, we give our offerings at the stations. And then there'll be people that are available for prayer with you. But I have a couple things that I'd like us to do. And this is in the next steps in your outline if you want to look at it. But just a couple things as we sing that I think would be great for us to do. is One, I would love for us to, to take on that posture of, of bending the knee. And so as we sing, if you'd, if you'd want, you could come. And, I mean, you come to the front, you come to the steps, you come to the sides of the room, you get down on your knees. If you want to just stay at your seat, turn around and, and kneel down there at your spot. You can do that. But I'd love for us just to take on that posture of submission, that, that submission that's throughout this, this whole household code text that we can only be better together when we, are, when we submit to one another, when we serve one another. And so we, we worship, though, first we submit and serve God. And, and so we get down on our knees as we bless him. And then another thing you could do, it's written in there, is just I think a kind of a cool practice would be is to write down at some point some ways that you can serve people that normally serve you. How can you flip the script, right? How can you turn some of this upside down? Just brainstorm some ways. Maybe you talk about that with somebody over lunch today. How can I serve those that serve me and take that on and to be, you know, in that kind of position with them? So let's, let's pray as we worship, as we sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the incredible example of Jesus. This example of what it means to be a servant And that if we want to be first, we should be a slave. And Lord, we just want to be your servants, God, your slaves, to you alone. Or may our life reflect who you are. May our actions show the world who you are, God. Lord, I pray that you would be worshipped and blessed here in this place. In Jesus' name. To Jesus I surrender all, to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily.
Oh, 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 I am yours, you are. 
understand as we sing this out. Take my moments. Take my moments and my days. Let each breath that I take be ever
just as an act of surrender this morning. God, we raise our hands to you, God. We give you all that we are, God. We surrender to you, God. We surrender our will to you, Lord. On the hard things, God. Humbling ourselves, God. God, in surrender, <laughs> it sounds easy. There's so many things in our lives that we, we hold on to, we hold tightly to. So God, in the midst of that, Father, I pray, God, that you would allow us to loosen our grip, God. Just as we stand here with our arms out, our hands up, God, to you. We cry out to you, God. Release those things. We give you our hearts, God. We give you who we are, God. Jesus, I surrender to Thee, I freely give. I will live and trust Him in His presence daily. about as I really think about what that looks like to be a slave to Jesus Christ. Because there's so many things in my life, and I'm sure the same for you, and I just, I want to hold on to. So to say, I surrender all, God. <laughs> it's, it's difficult. a process. Surrender is a process. It's not something that happens. You don't magically sing it or say it, and it happens. It's a process that we, we live through, we continue doing daily, minute by minute, hour by hour. We surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ and who he is. We do that in our decisions, in our relationships in the way that we treat others, in the way that we've invited the Holy Spirit into our lives, into this place as we did earlier.
And we say, Holy Spirit, give us open eyes. As bosses, as students, give us soft hearts to surrender to you. Father, Lord, give us the strength of your spirit to be able to do that. Lord, we know that in and of ourselves, to surrender all is that's impossible. And so we ask for your help, God. We ask for the spirit's work in our hearts, our minds, to renew us, Lord, to make us think completely differently than what we have thought before. May we have a heart attitude and actions of serving everyone and showing them who you are, Lord Jesus. Lord, may you just uh, radically change our lives. God, we even pray in this moment for those who are serving you around the world today, some of our youngest amazing people of our church in Costa Rica and Albania and Israel who are serving you in these places, Lord. May you Give them the strength from your spirit to serve, Lord, with this kind of heart when they're in those places and they're probably starting to run on empty, God, and feel tired. But, Lord, give them what they need from you to serve, Lord, and bring them home safely to us as well. God, we pray for the strength to do this as we go today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'd love to connect with you. We'd love to see you in the lobby. If you need more prayer, please let us know. Have a great day, and God bless.